It's the Bible Rundown, day 54, Numbers 5 through 6 and Mark 4. Rob, these are some challenging passages, uh, particularly with the test for adultery, but where do you want to start and what do you want to highlight? Yeah, let's start with the test for adultery because it's going to take us a little bit to explain. The test for adultery is uh, a husband suspects that a woman, she is not caught in adultery. We've been given the, the punishment for someone who's caught in adultery is death. Uh, but if someone who is caught in adultery or is not caught in adultery, but the husband suspects that she's been sleeping around, there's this test that's been given. They are to present her to the priest, and as they present her to the, the priest, the priest is to take this water and some dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water um, and then unbind the the hair so set the priest shall set the woman before the lord unbind the hair of the woman's head and place her hands in her hands the grain offering of remembrance which is the grain offering of jealousy and in his, his hand the priest shall have the water of bitterness that brings the curse the priest shall make her take an oath saying if no man has lain with you and if you have not turned aside to uncleanliness while you were under your husband's authority, be free from this water of bitterness that brings the curse. So a lot of things are happening here. Mm-hmm. But number one, they're going into the presence of God, which is not a good thing if you have committed adultery. Number two, they are, are, are declaring. I, I think the dust is, is this, this, this idea that uh, man is created from the dust. So when I think of the dust, I think of that man was actually created from the dust. You have this washing of water. And so you, you have this understanding of this water with dust, uh, the creation and the cleansing, the creation, the cleansing, which one is going to, which one is going to be overcome, right? Like the, 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 the dirt is signifying the death and the, the, the water is, is signifying the cleansing. And so you mix the two, and which one is it? You know what I'm saying? Is it she's going to die in the presence of God, or she's going to be absolved of the issue of that, that she's actually innocent, and it's actually the husband that thinks that he, she is, he is jealous of someone else, that she's absolved from, from sleeping around. So that's what I think is going on here, but I think the key is, is that they're bringing them into the tabernacle, into the presence of God, and uh, allowing him to be the judge. No, good summary. It's a tough, tough passage. And, and I think for us, it begs the question, if you know you've committed this sin, do you really want to go through with the test, right? right. And, and I think, boy, we still struggle with that, right? We know we've sinned against God, and we refuse to humble ourselves and confess our sins, right? Praise God that we have a Savior who promises that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we do confess and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, so I, I would say that, that people who have kin- committed that sin are not going to want to walk into that, no. into, the, into the presence of God, especially when they see him in the cloud of fi- pillar of fire guiding them through the wilderness in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Nadab and Abihu have already died in the presence of God. They're not going to want to walk into there. 
No, and, and that idea, I'm glad you kind of bring in that thought into this conversation because how do we desire not to sin? Well, we weigh sin against the holiness of God. And when we see the holiness of God contrasted against our sin, we want nothing to do with it, right? We abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, right? We have a healthy fear of God. Amen. And men in the Old Testament and even in the New that had a healthy fear of God put themselves underneath these Nazarite vows, right? Mm -hmm. We've got Samson that we're going to read about in Judges. We have Samuel, the prophet, that's going to do it. And the guy that we started with, Mark, the other day, John the Baptist himself was under a Nazarite vow, but anything that you think jumps out, or yeah, how do we apply it to us? I, I think it's interesting that Samson, when he kills uh, the lion, he actually eats the honey out of the lion, and so it's just this picture of Samson's depravity. Like, he is not to eat, to touch dead things, touch dead bodies, and he's eating honey out of the dead lion. It's, it's just, just a depraved instance but why did his strength not leave him until he let Deliah uh, yeah. cut his hair well it was God's it, I think if you look at the Samson and we'll get there sometime but sure. if you look at it I think it's a continual decline so God mm-hmm. is showing him grace after grace after grace after grace after grace until the, the decline is so great that it's the only thing left that he's clinging to in his faith in the Lord is his hair, and he gives that up. Yeah. And then the end of chapter 6, the Aaron's blessing, right? There's this song that's popularized this recently, um, but this beautiful benediction, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So what is God's desire? God is love, right? He is the definition, the Mm -hmm. figure of love. His desire is to bless even broken, sinful people that struggle with sin. Amen. And and I just think about this, this, this face of God shining upon his people will be a key theme throughout the book as as Moses enters into the tabernacle as one who is face-to-face with God, the goal of us, right, will be to one day see, not dimly, but face-to-face as we see him as he is. And this idea is that the Lord is is watching us. He, he is looking down upon us. He's giving us peace. He's gracious to us. He's blessing us. Um, you know, and the name of God shall be upon the people of God. And so this ironic blessing is this continual uh, reminder that God is with his people and that his name is upon uh, them. And when we say that to one another, we should be reminded of that. Amen. And then Mark 4, Jesus teaches in parables. Uh, how does the kingdom grow? It grows like a seed, right? A sower goes out into a field, scatters seed broadly. Some of it lands on good soil. Some of it, though, does land on rocky soil, right? And it gets scorched. It doesn't grow root. Others falls on thorns. Jesus gives these examples to teach the people figuratively things about the kingdom of God. And with his disciples, his inner circle, he trains them or expounds upon the parable so that they understand the true meaning of it, and therefore we can have it written here 
in the word of God for us. Um, but anything that you observe yeah, in these parables. Parables conceal and reveal, right? So they conceal from those who are blinded of the truths of God's word, and they reveal to those whose eyes have been opened to who Christ is more about the kingdom of God. And so they're concealing and revealing at the same time. And so there are ways in which God teaches his people what the kingdom of God is like, but they're also concealing from those who do not believe Christ as Lord um, what the kingdom of God is like. So yeah. we can talk about the parables of the sower, but our friends who don't know Christ, they have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, and the same with the seed growing, a lamp under the basket. These things make sense to us because we've seen the effect of the Spirit of God at work in our life to understand that these parables are actually the truths of how the gospel works. Small beginnings accomplish great things. Thanks for joining the Bible Rundown.